Launching a telehealth program can be a tricky process filled with discoveries, questions, and at times, doubts. Things like, is this specialty you've decided on the right choice for your area? Is there a patient need for this potential new service? Will your organization's leaders and administrators buy into your proposal? These are just a few questions you'll ask yourself along your journey of building your telehealth program. And you're bound to make some mistakes. I'm Brian Lee, one of the content creators for the South Central Telehealth Resource Center. Welcome to Telehealth Talk. In today's episode, we're discussing mistakes to avoid when building your telehealth program. Joining me, sharing their knowledge and expertise is Terry Imus, RN, Director of Operations for Trauma Telemedicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, Center for Distance Health. Kathy Wiberly, Director of the Mid-Atlantic Telehealth Resource Center and Director of Research at the University of Virginia Center for Telehealth. And Amber Humphrey, Director for Telemedicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Stay with us. Here's Amber Humphreys, Director for Telemedicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center's thoughts on pitching ideas to leadership. So what are some mistakes to avoid when pitching your program to your leadership? When you're pitching a program to leadership, it's, it's really important to be very upfront about all elements of the telehealth service. Um, a, a mistake would be omitting really key details such as reimbursement. So to say the technology is easy, the physicians are on board, let's do this, but not fully um, making, making folks fully aware of really important regulatory pieces could, um, could, be, a, could be a mistake that essentially would, would you know, result in the program not getting off the ground. We have to make sure that things are financially viable. And so um, incorporating reimbursement um, or some type of payment or pricing into the conversation early is, is key. I think one of the biggest things that I see that we have run across when you're pitching your idea uh, to build this telemedicine is bringing everyone involved to the table so they all hear the same information. Terry Imus, RN, Director of Operations for Trauma Telemedicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, Center for Distance Health. They all are informed so that they can make an informed decision. Um, some of the pitfalls um, that we've encountered is a result of people misunderstanding what the limitations are. Uh, how far can it go? When do we begin? Setting goals, setting deadlines, and ensuring that everyone involved understands what those goals, what those deadlines are. Uh, another common roadblock is um, trying to do too much too soon. Uh, we always encourage to start small, pick one or two programs, um, start with one or two clinics and involve all key players during that period of time. I think one key um, mistake to avoid is to pitch it as if this were a top-down uh, enterprise. That's Kathy Weberly, Director of the Mid-Atlantic Telehealth Resource Center and Director of Research at the University of Virginia Center for Telehealth. I think oftentimes people think, oh, if I just got support from administration, then I can just get this telehealth program going and they'll just push it from the top down. And I think, you know, not having someone on the ground who's a clinical champion, who understands and who's advocating it for it and who sees the use case, um, 
that is always going to cause a problem. Um, anytime, you know, it's you, thou shalt do telehealth, um, you're going to create um, hassles that you probably want to avoid. So now you have your champions in place, your leadership is on board, and it's time to build your program. Here's Terry Hymas. Time constraints. Uh, making sure that you have enough time, enough uh, people involved, and enough patience to make it happen. One of the problems that we had recently in starting one was um, everybody involved, the physicians, the pro uh, providers on the side where the patient, everyone was ready to go and we had no patients. So understand that the patients have to be involved as well. Start trying to recruit before you begin your program so your patients can make an informed decision on whether or not they want to participate in a telemedicine clinic. And then making sure that you practice. Practice, um, have mocks, um, so that everyone is comfortable, everyone is proficient at what their jobs are expected, and um, ensuring that you know what your limitations are as well. Remind everyone involved a telemedicine visit should be the same as if it was in person. The mistake that I see a lot is making the technology the focus of your program as opposed to really understanding the use case, um, really understanding the need, really understanding the provider's workflow. Mm -hmm. um, so oftentimes people say, well, what technology should I use? And I always say back up about five steps <laughs> and tell me what you're trying to accomplish first. And so oftentimes people will select a technology and let the technology drive their program which creates all sorts of hassles because the users are saying, well, that's not how my workflow goes. Oh, but that's how the technology works. Or, you know, or saying, oh, well, we picked the wrong technology and now we're just gonna have to live with what we have. So we'll have to build our use case around it. I mean, those are things that we can very easily avoid. I think when you're building the program, often you come at it with a, um, with a physician champion already on board. And I think one of the, the mistakes that you can make is not fully recognizing the operational team that's needed to support the, the vision of that physician. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we have good operational support from, from a scheduling perspective and a clinic perspective, because if we don't have those things, things will break. And we've seen that breakage here at Vanderbilt where a physician has a wonderful idea. It's really going to benefit patients to utilize telehealth, saving lots of time and, and potentially, you know, money. Um, and if, if the operational folks aren't there to help trigger the process when, when it's necessary, it will not, it, it simply cannot be successful. Your program is up and running now. It's a well-oiled machine, but how do you sustain it? Here's Amber Humphrey. I think that when you're maintaining your program, a, a mistake that you could make is taking that program for granted. So for instance, um, you see that that volumes may not be, you know, six months, 12 months out may not be what they were anticipated as. And so I think looking into that really immediately when you see that dip is key because there's often something that's preventing those providers from from doing what they originally set out to do so is it that you know is is there lack of 
knowledge um, by the referring providers? Is there, is it someone who has not um, just reminded the new schedulers that this is how you book a telemedicine appointment or this is how you offer a telemedicine appointment? Um, is there something wrong with the equipment? You know, there are things that we may not know and the physicians are really busy. Telehealth is just one component of what providers and nurses do every day. And they're, they're, you know, navigating all these other challenges. And so if, if something's broken, they may not stop to fix it right away. And so it's our responsibility to really be there, to be their partner and say, Hey, it looks like something's going on. Let us help you try to figure out what that is. Um, I think there are two things. One is not to rely on grants um, grants are great for, you know, starting up, for building proof of concept, for testing a pilot, an idea that you want to try out. Um, but to build a program around, well, I will just continue to get, get grant funding, I think is a major mistake for sustainability. And I think the second big piece of sustainability is making sure that your clinicians get paid for their services. Mm. So no matter how you do it, whether it's, you know, I'm developing a relationship with a foundation and they're going to provide uncompensated care funding or, you know, figuring out the billing and the reimbursement or the contractual model. Um, because if you think your clinicians are going to do this out of the goodness of their heart for the next 20 years, um, you're going to have a lot of issues coming up. Being consistent and being informative and again, having that informed uh, consent as far as who wants to participate in telemedicine. If you have a successful program, your patients are going to come back and they're gonna help you recruit other because it's more convenient to have a telemedicine visit than it is to travel long distances. I always tell people, and this goes back to some of the things that I said before, if you have um, a use case and if you really understand what you're trying to do, then figure out your outcomes. Like, what are you trying to measure? How are you going to demonstrate ROI? Um, mm. Because if you try to collect data after the bus has left the station, it's a lot harder than if you build in, you know, what data do I need to collect to show the ROI? What data do I need to collect as I'm building this program? Um, it's a lot easier on the front end than trying to catch it later. Here at Vanderbilt, we were very organic in building our telehealth program. We started with teleneurology and a couple of ambulatory things, but did not fully think about how other service lines would be impacted or what we wanted to see um, as our end game. And so now we have that end game. We know that we want every provider at Vanderbilt to be telehealth capable um, within the next couple of years. And so we're, we're creating a plan for that. But, but initially, we were in a very um, reactive approach and and that served us well for a long time to work the kinks out but i do think that if you're starting from square one um, pick a technology that's going to work for multiple service lines make sure that it is comfortable supporting that technology make sure you have really fundamental workflow thing um, tools in place so policies and procedures training manuals those types of things um, that can be adapted to each specialty but there are yeah there there are many things that it took years for us to build and and now that we have those things it's so much easier to scale across service lines as always let's keep the conversation going you can find and follow us on twitter at learn telehealth on facebook the same name learn telehealth and while you're there leave a like and follow the page 
If social media isn't your thing, you can always leave us an email at info at learntelehealth.org. Please visit our website, learntelehealth.org, for tools, tips, and resources to help you on your telehealth journey. That's learntelehealth.org. While you're there, be sure to click the Search 2018 tab to learn more about its Telehealth Research Symposium. Search, the Society for Education and the Advancement of Research in Connected Health, started in 2016 as a small team of academics, researchers, and clinic professionals. Search has developed into a society with a goal to promote connected health programs through the use of evidence-based research. For more information on this year's symposium, click the Search 2018 link on our homepage. Thanks for listening.